Welcome to episode 204 of the Various Sundry Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is struggling for motivation on this Monday, mm. John mm. Scott Sloat. Everything's requiring great effort. On this very cold Monday morning. Yeah, I mean, you come in on a Monday after the Thanksgiving oh, break. Yeah. So you've had, oh. you know, a solid four days off. Oh, yeah. And you've stuffed yourself with delicious food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think you're still probably, um, even though this is now your second academic year in your current position, which is not as governed by the academic year. No, no, not at all. Uh, I think you're still kind of in that mentality of when you get through Thanksgiving weekend, you come back and you're like, okay, just two weeks. Just got to hang on for two yeah. weeks. And then the semester's over and then the holiday break begins for faculty. But that's not your life anymore. Yeah. What when 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 do students go home? Like what's the date? What's your last day of class? December eighth. The eighth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So next week. So not this upcoming Friday, but the following Friday. Okay. Yeah. I'm out of town all next week, traveling about. Okay. We should probably talk about how we're gonna record <laughs> yeah. the podcast next that, week. That's probably something we should figure out. Yeah. But uh yeah, and then I have one week back on campus and then I then I'm then I have taken off the following week, and then we then we hit Christmas week. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're there. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your Thanksgiving festivities. What did Thanksgiving look like for you? Uh, I mean, pretty standard Thanksgiving things. So let's see. Uh, Thursday had Thanksgiving with Andrea's family and her grandparents, mm-hmm. and then Friday I. Did yard work all day. All right. And then I blocked out 3 o'clock forward um, when the Jets game started. Ah, uh, yes. And then uh, Friday or Saturday, Ohio State, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, I went to the Colts game. Okay. So I was in Indianapolis on Sunday. Yeah. Sounds Watched. like a f- full weekend. This full very, extended it's very weekend. Full. Yeah. yeah. I'm tired. <laughs> That's, uh, struggling for the motivations. Yeah. How about yourself? Did you guys go to, go to Ohio? So Thursday we went to Ohio uh, with my to be with my side of the family. Um, Napoleon, yeah, Ohio, yeah, named after a French dictator. Okay, Germantown, French dictator name. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Friday we did spent most of the day doing Christmas decorations. Kate did the lion's share of that, but. I have my own little segments of responsibility within that. Is it like stuff high up? So in our house, in our living room, she pretty much does the Christmas tree and the stuff on the mantle. And I string the lights all along the big white Billy bookcases that take up a wall of our house. Yeah. So I do that. And then uh, there's a specific way – for the outside decorations that you have to plug things in to get them to connect properly and work right. And so 
that's my responsibility as well. You did that Friday? Yeah. And what about Saturday? Uh, well, we'll circle back to Saturday. Uh, okay. In the Block, sports blocked segment. out noon to three pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Sunday was just a sort of normal-ish Sunday, church, and then uh, no community group. Um, and uh, just yeah, played some euchre with my lovely bride and uh, Jake and his uh, girlfriend. Nice. And uh, and John was home for the – John came home Friday, was home Friday through Sunday. So good to see him. Nice. Yeah. So if you'd like to contact the show and um, tell us about your Thanksgiving holiday festivities, you can find us at V&S Pod. You can email the show, Harmon. So nope, that, that's your email. That's, that's, let's not give that one. Wowzers. they can't find it. Yeah. We're off, off our game here. That would be variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube, and we would love for you to uh, leave us a five-star rating and a review. All right, John. It's time. Okay. Let's talk some sports. It's a tough weekend. Uh, for both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which do you want to do first? I don't I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we have to talk about the Ohio State-Michigan game. And uh, it's funny. My Greek students this morning were like one of the uh, – like, are you going to talk about this on the pod? Well, of course I'm going to talk about it on the pod. Like I'm a grown-up. I can talk about my team losing. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to duck it and be pretend like nothing happened over the weekend related to my favorite sports team. Like come yeah, on, come on. Yeah. You know. Part of being a responsible fan, I think, is facing the music when your team loses. Yep. So, so yeah, Ohio State lost to that team up north, thirty to twenty-four, and uh, it was a close game. It was a, it was a very evenly played game. The difference was that Ohio State's quarterback made two this through two interceptions. The the second one I'm going to give him a pass on because it's he, under a minute left. You got to force the ball down the yep, field. One hundred percent. Like I, I, that one doesn't. The first one was pretty rough. The first one was unbearably bad mm-hmm. to throw that interception there, and Michigan ends up with the ball at the Ohio State nine yard line and punches it in for a touchdown. Like that feels like the difference in the game. A back breaking mistake. Where you give the team seven points. I, I think an argument could be made for the touchdown that could have been called an interception as well. Now, you don't have a dog in the fight. I I mean you have a you have Ohio State family, so you yeah, I, I understand yeah. you lean you, you by default lean that direction uh-huh. in terms of preference. Yeah, I'm definitely biased for sure. But you're not as biased as me. N- no. No. I, I lost no sleep. Um, what did you think of that? So for those who don't know, Michigan threw a touchdown pass where the, where the receiver caught the ball and the Ohio State defender jarred it loose and it's coming loose before mm-hmm. the Michigan player reaches the end zone. And then in the sort of tumble into the end zone 
finish the play, the Ohio State defender comes out of there with the ball. Mm-hmm. It was ruled a touchdown on the field, and it was uh, announced as stands, call on the field stands, not confirmed, which is basically the official saying there's we, not enough there. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We're going with what was on the field. Yep. What were your thoughts? Um, at first glance, like watching it live, I thought it was just a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Like just watching it live, thought it was a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, on the replay, I I thought there was evidence that it was an interception. Mm-hmm. Like that the ball was jarred loose. He had to complete the catch at that point. Yeah. All the way to the ground. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do that. Yeah. And if the ball had hit the ground, I think it would have been, you know, if, if, if it had hit the ground at any point in that, it would have been incomplete. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the same is true as if uh, was it Burke who who Denzel Burke? Yep. Uh, I think it would have been an. I think it should have been an interception. That's my two cents. Okay. I, I think I'm. I am reasonable human number one. Here I stand. <laughs> so I think. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm biased towards that as well. Um, but I can also understand the whatever the call on the field was. Staying with that. I mean this gets this gets to my annoyance with instant replay. When we first started this, indisputable video evidence was proclaimed as this is the standard. If there's not that, then it just stands, whatever it was. Well, we've abandoned that a million years ago now in terms of indisputable video evidence. Mm-hmm. Now it's just – pardon the term – it's a crapshoot, really, in terms of what the replay official wants to do in terms of the standard of proof yeah. of what you think wants what, – what you want to consider that. If you think it's most likely, some of replay officials seem like, well, that seems like the most likely thing. We're going with that, even if it means overturning a call on the field. Or others seem to stick more with the kind of it's got to be obvious or we're just sticking with what the call on the field was. Yeah, it's the difference between preponderance and clear and convincing. Sure. Yeah. Or it's the difference between a civil trial and a criminal trial. Mm-hmm. You know, criminal trial beyond a reasonable doubt. Civil trial more than fifty percent likely you win the case. Mm-hmm. So uh, the announcer thought it was an interception. Yeah. And then, but Dean Blandino, what a great name. Uh huh. Did not correct. So uh, I, I think, I think his his take was there's not enough there, and so you stick with what is on the field. In any case, I, I want to be clear. That's not why I'm not blaming that on. I'm not blaming Ohio State's loss on that. Yeah, Ohio State did not play. They, I think, they actually played pretty well. They just made a couple of critical mistakes, and Michigan didn't. Yep, it's really that simple. I, I, I will say in the fourth quarter, there was about eight minutes left. Ohio State was running the ball consistently. They were down by two scores and they just ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball and ran a good chunk of clock mm-hmm. off. And I remember thinking at the time, like, you probably need to throw the ball and get some chunk plays here. Well, but the the, the backbreaker besides the first quarter interception was um, Ohio State scored to make it a three-point game. With about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. kicked off to Michigan, and the defense could not get off the field. Yeah, 
they just allowed Michigan to just bleed clock and convert third and four, third and five, third and six, third and three, just like bleeding it down to the point where when Ohio State finally got the ball after having to burn all three of their timeouts to stop the clock, Michigan kicked the field goal to go up six. Ohio State had the ball uh, at their own 25 with a minute, a minute five yeah. left. Yeah. Which is still enough time in the college game when you get first downs that stop the clock temporarily. Um, but then even the interception that Kyle McCord threw on the last drive, um, his offensive line let him down. Like he mm-hmm. was completely under pressure almost immediately. And he's trying to hit Marvin Harrison Jr., who I think if he's able to step into the throw and put it on a line, it's a completion or at worst an incompletion. Not a softer pass that gets easily intercepted by a defender. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wasn't happy that Ryan Day decided to um, – at the end of the second quarter. Didn't go for it on fourth Didn't down. go for it on fourth yeah. and two at like the Michigan 35. Instead chose to bleed the clock and then try a 50, 52-yard field goal. I did not like that decision at all. I think you have to uh, – I think you have to go for that. Mm-hmm. And trust that your defense is not going to give up anything if you get stopped. Uh, I think you have to try to go for that, even if nothing else, to make the field goal shorter yeah. as opposed to um, – yeah. So um, I, I just it's – dis, it's a hugely disappointing loss. But I still feel like Ohio State played pretty well. But when your defense does not force any punts in the second half, they let you down. Mm-hmm. It's like they overcorrected. Last year, the problem was gave up way too many big plays, way too many like huge touchdown plays. They gave up five touchdowns to Michigan last year that were over 40 yards. Hard to win a game when you do that. Yep. Well, this year they played so, in one sense, conservatively that they just let Michigan methodically move Chunk the ball down the field. Down the field. Uh, rather than like th- there's 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 a happy medium in there. You've got to pick your spots to be aggressive. Um, I think I saw a stat: Ohio State blitzed a total of four times during the game. Really? That's it. Hmm. You can't do that. You got to put some more pressure on on JJ McCarthy, especially when his completion percentage, when blitzed, is under fifty percent. Mm-hmm. You got to do it occasionally, not every third down, but like you got to make him feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah. So uh, there's a remote chance Ohio State could still make the playoff. They did last year after losing to Michigan. But uh, several things have to fall in place for them to squeak in. If I remember, several things had to fall in place last year too. Yeah. Um, So we'll see. I'm not expecting it. Uh, But basically, uh, Texas has to lose. uh, Florida State has to lose. And – Ideally, probably Washington has to beat Oregon and Georgia has to beat Alabama. Georgia will beat Alabama. They should. They should. Uh, But did you see the end of that game, the Alabama-Auburn game, the Iron Bowl? No. Auburn led the entire game basically. And they are up four with like, I don't know, five seconds left. Alabama has a fourth and goal. This is no mistake. Fourth and goal from the 31. Hmm. It is So it's essentially fourth and 31. Last play of the game. 
Alabama throws a touchdown pass into the corner of the end zone. How do you let that happen if you're Auburn? Yeah, I don't know. It's terrible. So anyway. Uh, all right. That's been my catharsis. Let's talk about your Jets. I don't recall. <laughs> I mean, you blocked out your Friday um, afternoon to yeah. watch them uh, lose to the Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, is there anything new here? No, I, I think that's the hard part that I'm coming to. I mean, we started Tim Boyle at quarterback, uh, who maybe played a little bit better than Zach Wilson, but, I, you know, hard, hard to say. And, uh, you know, when – was it this game or the last game? Gosh, I can't remember where. They start to blend together. Yeah, yeah. I, you turn the ball over on special teams. You do some mm-hmm. of these dumb, dumb things, and you are three and out all the yeah. time. Your defense is going to wear thin, and mm-hmm. the other team's going to score points. Yeah. Uh, that seemed to happen pretty regularly. Yeah. Um. There was, I mean, there was a moment where we were, you know, we were we were going to be down ten to three going into halftime, mm-hmm. and I felt really good about that. Yeah, I felt like you make some halftime adjustments, and and uh, and you figure it out. You know, you 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 work on it, you figure it out. And Tim Boyle goes for the hail, rightfully so, hail mary to end the second quarter, mm-hmm. throws an interception. Guy returns it for a touchdown. All of a sudden, instead of being down 10-3, you're down 17-3. And that feels very different. And that's not something you can obviously expect. Like, you don't expect to throw a Hail Mary and have it run back for a touchdown. Yeah. That's just not something that you expect. That. You expect yep. surely somebody's going to tackle that guy. Yep. Or somebody's going to be up there with him trying to catch it. They're going to bump into each other and fall down. Yeah. That's what – but no, not a receiver near him. They couldn't get under the ball. <laughs> and – Oh, that's brutal, and you know that that happens. So they're now four and seven. I think so. Yeah, I have stopped paying attention at this point. I'll, the, so now there's really no motivation, really, for Aaron Rodgers to rush back. Correct? Well, they say he's going to start practicing this week, <clears throat> eyeing a Christmas Eve return. Well, they definitely will be out of it. by Barring some unexpected circumstance, they will be out of it. Yeah. I mean, they, they do play the Falcons this weekend. The Falcons are not great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a if you have a, uh, a game like you did against Philadelphia, right, where the defense is stout and gets three turnovers. Yeah. You're going to have a good shot. Yeah, but at four and seven, you realistically probably have to – Win out, win out, or I think go so. or go five and one, maybe, maybe nine and eight gets you in. The AFC is a bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah, AFC is a bit all over the place right now. But yeah, I mean, by then you'll know. Like realistically, you'll know by Christmas Eve, you will know. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know why, why. Why do you come back? Yeah, and I think the question is, you know, normal in the normal course of things. All right, the head coach is gone. The GM is gone. You know mm-hmm. all, all these things. I don't think anybody's going anywhere because everybody wants Aaron Rodgers to come back. Yeah, and he signed up to work with this group. Yeah, which I honestly might be a good thing. Like I, my two cents are we we've hired good coaches in the past that have gone on to success elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We just haven't given them enough time. Yeah, and so these guys have had four years now, and when you're fixing a problem like Adam Gase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You know, yeah. uh, it, it takes probably four years to undo some of that. Yeah, that's fair. And so I, I think we're undoing some of that right now. And I mean, I I think it could be a good thing that this I like this coaching staff. I like this GM. I think he does a mm-hmm. good job of drafting and developing talent. But, yeah. you know, I, I think they got it. They got to. They got to win with Aaron Rodgers next year. I mean, they got to be, and they also need to get him. They need to shore up that offensive line. That offensive line needs to be mm-hmm. strengthened. Yep. Like even if you had Aaron Rodgers with this current offensive line, you're going to win a lot more games than you're winning right now for sure. Yeah. But it's not a championship caliber offense if you if you don't fix that offensive line. Yeah. Yep. But I, I think everybody's staying around because Aaron Rodgers. Is is yeah. is going to dictate like I'm only coming back if I play with these people? Probably, probably. All right, John. We are 21 minutes into this episode, so I think we probably need to move on. Don't you think? We haven't talked about the NBA tournament though. That's all right. <laughs> nobody cares. Like legitimately, nobody cares. Yeah, the, the only thing out of the NBA <laughs> in season tournament is those floors are terrible. They are. God awful. <laughs> like I have actually turned a, turned away from a game. Like I can't watch this. What is this? It burns my eyes. Like, what like, is it's this? Like why is that whole floor blue? You know. Yeah. Can't stand it. They're trying to do that preseason college basketball tournament sort of feel, and I guess there's a couple of college gyms that have that, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's dumb. All right, you ready to move on? Sure. All right, we are starting a new series. For the Advent window here. Uh, So we are doing an Advent series on uh, some selected Old Testament allusions or quotations found in the New Testament that shed light on uh, on the arrival of Jesus. And so um, I think uh, this series has the potential— to even help some of our uh, listeners who have teaching or preaching opportunities, I, I feel like when you when you get into the Advent window, and also when you get even into the like Christmas Eve service or things like that, you can feel a little stuck, right? Oh like, yeah, it's like oh well, which passage out of Matthew, which passage out of Luke do I want to do here? Like it can feel just a little constricting, perhaps. And I feel like this is an opportunity to look at some of the Old Testament texts that these New Testament writers are engaging with and potentially to shed some light on uh, the significance of what these New Testament authors are doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have selected for us our first one will be the star out of Matthew 2. So uh, we won't read the entirety of the Matthew 2 section. We'll just read the relevant – Verses. So, uh, John, I'll have you read uh, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 2, and then uh, jump down to uh, verse verses 9 and 10. So 1 and 2, okay. 9 and 10. All right. Uh, so Matthew 2, 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold— Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And then uh, verses 9 and 10. After listening to the king, 
They went on their way, and behold, the star, uh, and behold, the star uh, that they had seen when it rose uh, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Okay. Now, just to be clear, there is not a direct Old Testament citation here. There's no quote. Uh, there is one that is that we skipped over for today, the quote from uh, Micah 5.2 that occurs in verse 6 of this passage. Hmm. Uh, but I chose this one because I think it's a, it's a fascinating illusion here that might be less well-known when it comes to an Old Testament background for this particular text. But – and this is where I, I want to encourage even our listeners who are not like Bible teachers, pastors, or whatever. Um, this is something that you can look at yourself. And obviously you're not going to be able to go the depth that someone has – of someone who has, say, knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. But I think – Sometimes English Bible readers sell themselves short in what they can glean simply by following cross-references. And so I know the the ESV is not unique here, but if you look at the cross-reference next to the first reference to star in verse 2 of Matthew 2, it sends you to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. So – Let's jump there. Numbers 24, verse 17. And the the larger context here is the fascinating story of uh, the king of Moab uh, hiring uh, Balaam to try to curse Israel, which is fascinating in and of itself because you get the whole, like, donkey speaking in it and everything like that. Right, right, right. So there's fun stuff in there all around. And he, he blesses Israel, doesn't curse yeah, it, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so when you get to Numbers 24, uh, you get uh, – this is part of a series of different oracles, prophetic oracles that this prophet Balaam gives. And this last one that he gives here uh, extends from verses uh, – let's see, that's verse – starts in verse 15 – and goes all the way through verse 24. We won't read the whole thing here, but uh, the key verses are actually 17 through 19. So, John, let's have you read that for us. Sure. Uh, Numbers 24, 17 to 19. Uh, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob... And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir, also his enemy, shall be dispossessed. Israel uh, is doing valiantly. Uh, And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities, of cities. That's yep. good. That's yep. your 19. Yep. All right. So here's some basic just Bible study, pay attention to Hebrew poetry kind of thing, right? 
so, so John's going to play along with me here. One of the basic features of Hebrew poetry is parallelism, where you make a statement in one line and the line that follows it sheds additional light on the statement you just yeah. made. But it makes a very similar point. Yes. So if you look back again at verse 17, he says, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So there's your basic parallelism. Star is parallel with, in the next line? Scepter. Scepter. And so what's the scepter a symbol of? Uh, uh, rule. Uh, yeah. Kingship. Kingship, authority, rule, exactly. Now, of course, uh, part of what is uh, noteworthy here is uh, – let's do it this way. Okay, so keep your finger here in numbers because we're going back. Jump okay. back to Genesis 49. So Genesis 49, you know, what, what we're looking at here is this, is this word scepter. So Genesis 49 is uh, the patriarch Jacob. It's his final blessings to his um, to his sons. Okay, and, and we're doing is this Judah? And so in Genesis 49, we are going to look at. Uh, yes, so this is. A, um, this is about Judah, and just for the sake of time, we will just read verses uh, – let's read 8 through 10. Let's read the whole thing, 8 through 10. You want me to take it? Yeah. Okay. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son – you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dare? Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Okay. So that idea of a scepter coming from uh, the line of Jacob, specifically through the line of Judah, has its roots back in Genesis 49 of this individual coming from the line of Judah who is going to have dominion, who's going to rule over things. Now, back in Numbers 24, I think this is fascinating because it's not – we're not just looking at star. We're looking at the fact that star and scepter are – interconnected, mm-hmm. that star is a reference to uh, to a ruler who's going to exercise dominion in some way. Now, if you go back to Numbers 24, part of what's fascinating here is, is you not just have the mention of the star and not just the scepter. It continues there, verse 17, it shall crush the forehead of Moab. Crushing the head of something or someone. Mm-hmm. Where do we see that earlier in Scripture, John? Uh, it's probably Genesis chapter 3. It is. It's Genesis 3, a reference to the serpent crusher. Mm-hmm. So here, here in Numbers, 
you have the reference to the star connected with scepter and the crushing of the head of the enemy of God's people. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't stop there. If you continue on, and we read verse 19, but let's look at it again. One from Jacob shall exercise dominion. Now, where do we see that earlier in Scripture? Well, I mean, several places, but— Where's I, the earliest we see it Oh, in goodness. Earliest? Well, that's got to be, what, Genesis 12? Uh, even before that. Um, oh, be, my goodness. Well, be, Genesis 1. There you go. Yeah, it's yeah. Genesis 1. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over and subdue it. The idea of dominion, of exercising authority over creation. So what you're beginning to see here is that already in the book of Numbers, it's bringing together this idea of a ruler coming from Jacob's line. And from, based on its allusion back to Genesis 49, we know it's coming from the line of Judah, mm -hmm. who is going to exercise rule and dominion, and he's going to defeat the enemy of God's people. That's just from Numbers 24, based on what's going on previously in Genesis 49 and then ultimately in Genesis 1, picking up this idea that this ruler from Judah's line is going to be a victorious Adam figure. Hmm. He's going to be someone who does what Adam was supposed to do but didn't. And he's going to, in the midst of doing what Adam was supposed to do, end up exercising dominion over creation. So all of that is there in Numbers 24. So that when we see this language of star in Matthew 2, it's more than just, huh, that's an interesting little uh, cosmic phenomena. It is, of course. Yeah. But it's more than just this kind of curious, oh, so there's some sort of supernatural, you know, and there's been plenty of studies, you know, literature. Oh, that was this comet that came across and sure. would have arced here. And I'm not saying that those that it's fruitless to look into those sorts of things. But I am saying that that's not what Matthew's interested in. He's not interested in the cosmic phenomena. He is interested in helping you to see that this that the arrival of Jesus signals the arrival of this descendant from the line of Judah, which, by the way, that's what the genealogy has already shown you in, the, in chapter 1 of Matthew. So it's already prepared you for, oh, this Jesus is a descendant of Judah. And now he is this, and now here's this reference to the star, who's going to be a, who's going to be the king of the Jews. So I think that Part of what this helps us to see is that even in the subtle ways Matthew is describing this, that there's more Old Testament freight coming mm -hmm. with that reference than just, oh, that's an interesting cosmic phenomena. And oh, look at the citation of, of Micah, Micah 5 too, which is important in its own right for sure. But it, it can overshadow the more subtle allusion to um, – yeah, uh, to numbers. Matthew's dropping the breadcrumbs for us, right? I mean, he's yeah. trying to he's trying to lead us down the line to uh, th 
this person is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Maybe not exactly who the Jews were looking for in a Messiah figure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they were looking for somebody uh, more explicit in the crush the head of your enemies mm-hmm. sort of figure that you see in yeah. uh, in uh, Numbers 24. Mm-hmm. But he crushes the head of the, the ultimate uh, enemy. Yeah, exactly. And so now what's striking is you might think, oh, come on. It's just a star, people. Like, come on. Like, you're way over reading what's going on here against the Old Testament background. Well, I would say not so fast, my friend. (laughs) Because if you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, listen to how Peter refers to – the return of Christ. This is Second Peter 1, verse 19. Um, you got it? No, no, no. Go ahead. Got it? Okay. Go ahead. Uh, he writes, uh, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And this is the key line. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I think that's a subtle allusion back to Numbers 24, Mm. referring to Christ as the morning star. And then I think it's confirmed in Revelation 22, verse 16, where John writes, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Hmm. So if we allow later scripture to help us understand earlier scripture, I think that helps clarify that we're not just reading too much into this cosmic phenomena in Matthew 2, that Matthew intends the more biblically literate reader, listener, to go, hey, wait a minute, star, star. Isn't there a reference to a messianic figure being a star in Numbers 24? And you go, yeah, yeah, there is. So that's some good uh, Old Testament background into something, an an element of the sort of the the nativity story that we may not catch unless we pay attention even to the simple cross-references. Like all of those texts I took us to, are findable just by using the English cross-reference systems in our Bible. Hmm. Just by looking at that and going, oh, star, look at that, mm, Numbers twenty four seventeen. I wonder what that's about. You go back there, you see the reference to the star in connection with scepter, dominion, and crushing the forehead of Moab. Oh, that's interesting. It's connected to scepter. Well, where's the scepter language before this? Back in Genesis 49, okay? And where's the crushing metaphor? Genesis 3, where's the talk of, of a descendant of Judah or, or someone exercising dominion over creation? Genesis 1. So these are all things that you would not have to have knowledge of the original languages in order to be able to track down. Now, your study of it will be richer and, and more, um, what's the word, maybe nuanced mm-hmm. than you might 
be able to do just with English cross-reference. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good illustrated point that even like if you're meditating on a particular verse that seems stale or uh, even just very, very familiar, like some of these Christmas passages, mm-hmm. right? Just looking up all the cross-references, looking them up, reading through them, thinking critically about them. How do, they, how do these fit together? What? Yeah. Why is this cross-referenced? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's not always immediately obvious and yeah. – Make it, making a move from there can can be helpful and provide new richness to a passage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's where I'll actually highlight a new resource that it'll be a it'll be a few years before it comes out. But I'm work, I'm part of the project, so I want to highlight it now. Ooh. So this is this is insider uh, knowledge here. This is yeah. uh, breaking news. Dun, 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 dun. There you go. Uh, I am part of a project that is going to produce. Uh, a specific study Bible with the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Big fan. I know you are. <laughs> that the that the study notes are going to be oriented towards allusions and, and quotations and helping you understand mm. how they're working in the context. But it's going to have an updated cross-reference system that will have the cross-references in the margins – so you can clearly see them as to when there's an allusion or a quotation. So you can immediately see it and then know I should go back and look that up. Who, who's on the project with you? Are you an editor on this I, project? I'm not an editor on this project. The The main guy is uh, Ben Glad. I'm shocked. I know. I'm shocked know. by that. I know. That guy's know. the editor on everything. <laughs> he's, he's making himself a little cottage <laughs> industry here. So, yes. So what are, are you doing specific books? Um, so trying I am, to get get on get the insider track for I, our listeners. I am I am doing Philippians and Galatians, okay. as you might expect. Yeah, yeah. Those are your huckleberries. Yeah, yeah. Seems to be. So, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, look for that in like two years, eh, two or three. Twenty twenty six. That seems like a million years away, but it's really not. Little little more than two years. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So uh, next week we'll come back with another illusion or citation related to the uh, to, to Advent there. But hopefully that maybe opened up some windows to you in terms of things that uh, our listeners may not have seen before. Time now for this day in sports history. All right, this day in sports history, November twenty eighth. November twenty eighth. This is our last episode in November. Next one will be December. Time is flying. Um, 1895, America's first auto race is organized uh, by the Chicago Times-Herald. Um, you drive to Chicago, from Chicago to Evanston and back, uh, six cars, a 55-mile race. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Duryea sure. wins uh, with an average uh, uh, top speed of seven miles an hour. <laughs> yes. I mean – couldn't you basically run that fast over that period? Well, f- 55 miles. That's a, that's a ways to go. Okay. Well. <laughs> and it's like two marathons. Okay. Um, 1929, Chicago fullback Ernie Nevers sets an NFL record for most points scored in a single game with 40, with all 40 in the Cardinals' 40-6 to six route of the Chicago Bears. Nevers has an NFL six record, six touchdowns, and four extra points. So he's also the kicker. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That's a lot of points for an NFL game. 
Yeah, if that's a terrible name for Nevers, an, an offensive player. That <laughs> that needs to be a defensive player's name. Yeah, agreed. For all we know, he played both ways. I mean, back in 1929, they probably that's true. He probably played linebacker or something. Um, 1992, 27-year-old Reggie Miller bombarded the Hornets' defense with a barrage. Look at you getting colorful with the language. I just copy and paste. Uh, a barrage of buckets, <laughs> which buried uh, the Hornets. Um, one thirty-eight to one twenty-two. Miller's fifty-seven points marks his personal career high, and an Indiana Pacers franchise record to cap off his colossal <laughs> bludgeoning of Charlotte. Yeah, I know you're no Reggie Miller fan. I am no Reggie Miller fan. <laughs> I was more of a fan of the bees. Yeah, bludgeoning, uh, buckets, buried, barrage, bombarded. Um, 2002, Michael Jordan announces his intention to retire from basketball for the third and so far final time at the end of the season. Yes. So far, final time. <laughs> I think he's pretty retired now. So far, so. final. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's stuck for 21 years now, so. Don't you think he could lace it up, though, for a game? For a game? A game. Yeah. And don't you think – gosh, I'm trying to think of a terrible team in the NBA. Um, who's who's um, who's terrible? Who's better? Portland? Portland, Oregon? Maybe. Right? They, they missed out because they chose – who did they choose over Michael Jordan? Uh, Sam Bowie. They chose Sam Bowie. So, so they, they have a night where they undo – that draft <laughs> and ha- ha- signed Michael Jordan to a one-game contract by by having a sixty-year-old Michael Jordan lace it up. Is he sixty yet? Absolutely. Tell me that would not be nationally televised, the most expensive ticket in Trailblazers history. <laughs> Maybe, uh, and and a fun game to watch. I'd turn it. I'd tune in for that game. Yeah, but I mean, Jordan could only play seven to ten minutes. Uh, he played more than that, but I think he could play in like three minute stretches, three four minute stretches. Yep. I I think he could play like fifteen to twenty minutes in the game if you spaced him out three to four minute segments four times. If you're the Portland Trailblazers and you do that, uh, absolutely. I think you sell a ton of tickets. <laughs> I think everybody across the country is watching that game. Must see TV. Oh yeah, you would get better ratings than Lakers. Uh, <laughs> Lakers uh, Golden State Warriors game. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Don't don't you think so? I think this is a great idea. Yeah, Listeners, go. let me know what you think of my idea. <laughs> All right. So, who do you want to go with on the uh, today in sports? History? Ernie Nevers. Agreed. Agreed. Ernie Nevers. One thing you liked uh, on Sunday, I got to go to the Colts game. Yeah. So I uh, got uh, tickets. Good tickets. Um, as good as ours were a couple of years ago? The same tickets. Okay. So th- 13th row in yeah. section 110. Okay. So, yeah, it was, it was quite nice. Had to look up at passes. Yeah. Saw Baker Mayfield. He's not He's not a big man, no. Baker. No. Second live game I've seen with Baker Mayfield. Really? Second? Second. What was the first? I, I was at his rookie debut game in Cleveland. Where are you? Thursday night, Jets-Browns. Oh, yes, yes. When they hadn't won it over a calendar year and beat the Jets. Did you – is that one you went with with uh, Kyle in Winona Lake? Yes, yes, I did. Okay. Was there anybody else with that crew? No, just, just me and him. Okay. Went to that game. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Very cool. It was wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. Baker got taken out in the first uh, after the first series. He came out on fire, rolled his ankle. It really wasn't the same the rest of the game. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, a related resource to our discussion. Uh, recently, the dictionary of the New Testament use of the Old Testament came out. So, uh, and I contribute the articles on catch the theme here, Philippians and Galatians, as well as an article on the Old Testament use of the Old Testament. Uh, But uh, that's an excellent resource. We've talked, I'm sure at points in the past, about the commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament edited by uh, Greg Beal and Don Carson. That's where you have a specific passage you want to go to and look at a quotation and see its Old Testament background and that sort of thing. This is more of big picture overview, like how is the new, t- how is the Old Testament used in Galatians or Philippians? What are some of the different ways mm-hmm. that it's used? There are essays on methodology. There are essays on the history of interpretation. There's essays on typology or allegory, or do the New Testament authors use the Old Testament contextually? There are also thematic essays on things like the temple or um, sacrifice or things like that. So it's kind of a one-stop shop. Uh, that just came out at the end of um, end of October, and that is edited by Greg Beal, Don Carson, Ben Glad, and of Andy Maselli. Of course, yes. So I would highly recommend picking that up, uh, adding it to your Christmas list. It is an excellent resource. All right, John, we have lamented disappointing losses by our football teams. We have talked about the star in Matthew 2 and how it's a messianic reference. Mm-hmm. We have talked about Ernie Nevers. Can we say L's there? No. Ernie no. Nevers. Ernie Nevers. We talked about your time at a Colts game, and we talked about the dictionary of the New Testament use of the Old Testament. And so I think, by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And all that's left to say is, until next time. The Lord bless y'all real good. Later.